This Week in Startups is brought to you by Rippling. Rippling helps thousands of fast-growing startups automate their HR and IT, from their team's payroll and benefits to devices and apps. See how at rippling.com slash twist. Squarespace. Turn your idea into a new website. Go to squarespace.com slash twist for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code twist to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. And Zendesk. Listen to Zendesk's new podcast, Sit Down, Start Up, to hear conversations with Zendesk's leaders and the founders, CEOs, and makers on how to start up, even when the world goes topsy-turvy. Download and subscribe on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of This Week in Startups. I am really excited for one of my oldest friends and one of the original OG uh, Web 2.0 gangsters uh, (laughs) and Silicon Valley notable individuals, whatever, creators. He's been on the pod, I think. This will be the fourth appearance, Kevin. Uh, 2011, episode 218, 2013, 2017, and here we are four years later. Uh, Welcome back to the program, Kevin Rose. Thanks for having me. It's good to see you again. It's good to see you, brother. God, we haven't seen each other in a while. It's got to be close to two years, right? Because I mean, in you person, in it's the been, bay. Yeah, yeah, it's been quite a while. I got out of the Bay. You, you yeah. stayed. Your life. I basically came here. You know, I was living in LA all that time. I've only yeah. been in the Bay for five years. Why did you leave exactly? Were you just burnt out on it? Ah, uh, well, there was a few th- reasons. One, we were having our first kid, and we just realized uh, like San Francisco is not the place when no. you're raising a baby. Like it just. No. And, and we, we love Portland. We came up here during the, the summertime, uh, multiple summers in a row, fell in love with the city, the farmer's markets, the food scene, great beers, the rivers here, wild salmon, like there's a lot to love and no, no state or no sales tax. Like it's just awesome. Yeah. And we love the outdoors and we love the hiking trails and all that good stuff. So uh, yeah, I ended up just uh, building a house here. And by the time it was done, we had like a three month old and we moved uh, up mm. here to our home. Fantastic. And you started, I mean, I know that you became a partner at True Ventures. Is that a full time gig for you? Or yeah. are you like a venture? Par- it's a full time gig. Yeah, I'm, I'm a full partner there. Oh, wow. I didn't realize that. And how long you've been doing that since 2017? You probably because I started off as a venture partner there. I didn't know if I wanted to go back and do, you know, more entrepreneurship. And it was just like, at some point, I was like, you know what, I'm just not going to build anymore. I'll just rather have other people go. I know you had Mike Mazur on the show a while back who's running zero and, Mm. you know, Mike's an old colleague. And I love the fact that he's like operational and running things. I don't want to run things anymore, especially with a couple little girls. Yeah. And so it's nice for me to be able to just be, have one hat and just have it be the investor hat, you know? What do you love about being an investor? What do you miss about being an entrepreneur, if anything? Well, I would say, I mean, there's that rush you get when you launch a new product. Yeah. I mean, mm. you know how it is. Like you put yeah. something out there and you get, you know, all of a sudden a hundred, a thousand, 10,000, a hundred thousand people using something. And it's like super exciting. Like, sure. you know, we have, it, 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 there's nothing beats that. That is like the, the yep. ultimate peak as a founder is to have people using something that you created, mm. you know, that you dr- dreamt up. So mm. um, that I do miss. I would say what I don't miss is managing people is making those initial hires that are really hard to make, you know, finding finding the right engineering team, fighting for talent, um, 
it's that stuff sucks. Uh, but you know, on the investing side, it's, it's also fun to identify stuff early on. Like when you see something where you can close your eyes and say, if this works, you know, three, five years from now, this is going to be a multi-billion dollar business. Like just feeling that in your gut, um, it, it, it just gets you all excited and it's, you know, hard to sleep and all the good stuff that comes along with that. It's so nice being able to make the bet and be part of the team without having to do that heavy lifting you're talking about, which is, oh my Lord, just filling one position can take 100 hours, 200 mm -hmm. hours, the person then gets poached by somebody else six months later. And it's, it's just like getting punched in the face over and over yes. and over again. It's being a boxer. And you know, I, I, I right. think if you start as young as you did, and I did, you know, after a while, your body just starts to hurt from being in the ring. Yeah. And it's not like even like you're getting knocked out. You're just getting a bloody nose every single time. And yes. you're just like, and you kind of like fix it up and you're like, okay, I'm good. I'm good. I'm yeah, good. Nose is then, still good. <laughs> yeah. And then you go and it happens again and it happens again. And you're just like, ding, after ding. a while, you're like, I'm done with this. <laughs> so we're putting tough. ice packs on. Yeah. <laughs> waking up in the middle of the night in cold sweat. Am I going to run out of money? <laughs> Yeah, that that that's a, another whole scary thing is that next round of financing and then the, the amount of time that goes into fundraising is oh. just like, ah, uh, it's it a just, lot. It, the other thing that's people I think don't understand is that it never ends. Mm -hmm. So you're like, oh, if only I could be like Zuck or, you know, the, you know, Uber or if I got to like Tesla's level and it's like, no, it it just becomes bigger problems and more at stake. And right. even those big companies, right? Like at any point in time, they can go off the rails. Yeah. Yeah. The question is like, is it in your DNA? Do you have that like mental and like fortitude to go and be one of those very elite few? And yeah. I, I realized that for me, I'm like really good at the kind of early stage, like the genesis of the idea, iterating, brainstorming, wireframing, UI, UX stuff, launching something, getting something off the ground within just a couple of months. Like that's what mm. I love to do. I'm not so good and I really don't enjoy the scaling piece of it. Like after mm. you get to 50 plus people, it's just like, oh. it, there's, it's a whole nother skill set. The joy goes right set. down. Yeah. yeah. And, the, and the joy goes down because you didn't hire the 50th person. Right. And you meet them and you're kind of like, I might not even like this person. I might, I wouldn't have hired this person. How did this person wind up in my organization? Right? I mean, everybody has that moment in their own company when they're like, you go to work and you're like, I don't like coming to work anymore. Did you, did you have that at some point in your career? You don't have to say when or which company, but did you have that moment where you just dreaded having to go in and push the rock up the hill or did you get out before you got to that? No, I've, I've had that moment a, a few times. And I think it's because just, to, just in full transparency, like I was just so immature and didn't really understand um, how to ask for help. And yeah. because of that, I just wasn't as well-rounded as I should have been on wow. whether it comes down to hiring or managing folks. And so I made a lot of bad, bad decisions. And, when did you and, realize that? I'm curious. When did you come to that? And how did you? Because I think there's a lot of founders right now and we work with them who, you know, they, they probably have that voice in the back of their head, like, I don't know what to do here. But if I ask anybody or I tell anybody, I, I don't know what to do, they're going to fire me or I'm going to look stupid. When in fact, it's the exact opposite. But we all as young entrepreneurs or nascent entrepreneurs have that moment. 
Yeah. When did you unpack it? Do you remember the moment when you realized? I remember like, oh, being I just on this. Yeah, yeah, I remember honestly, it just has it, it comes from watching other entrepreneurs and how curious they are. Like I remember there was a there was a time when when Zuckerberg came over to my office and um he sat down and he he's like at the time Facebook was around the size of Dig, like it wasn't they hadn't had its full blow up moment yet. And you know, so we were kind of peers and he sat down and he just asked so many questions. Like yes. so many questions. Yep. And they were just like and he was so curious and some of them i remember just being like kind of shocked that he was being that vulnerable hmm. and and just be willing to be like a sponge and just ask like the silly question you know yeah um and i and i realized like that is is one of the things i feared was 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 letting hmm. like letting that side and opening up that side to my investors to my board members yeah to others around me that i didn't understand these pieces of the business and mm. and i i didn't know how to seek out the proper mentors you know and so mm. that was that wow. wasn't until, Even like until the much mighty later kevin rose right it's so <laughs> crazy because you know from the outside everybody looks at you and says well he's a visionary he sees things you know a couple of years before everybody else and he executes i mean i've always told you this i think you know pound for pound as a product person there's you're elite like there's 10 people i would say yourself elon steve jobs Alex from Calm, you know, who just when they make a product, it just comes out great. Like I just think you're that elite. I and appreciate I mean, you saying that. That's nice of you to say. It means, no, I've it means felt a lot that. coming I mean, from you, actually. Well, you know, it, I realized it over time because when I first met you when you were doing Dig, I just saw the product and I was like, that thing's gonna change everything. It was so clear to me, and I think everybody. Let's face it, this new world of remote work is here to stay. We all know that, and so are all of the HR and IT headaches that come with it. Like, how do you register your startup with dozens of state tax agencies, right? You had some employees, they were living right near your office, and then they decided, you know what, YOLO, I'm going to move somewhere else during the pandemic. Well, you are going to need to have your startup register with dozens of state tax agencies now, or you have to comply with a gazillion different local labor laws. Well, Rippling, which I use for my fully remote team over at Inside, can answer those questions for you. They make it super easy to manage all of your local and remote employees and contractors, whether they work from HQ or Timbuktu. When you hire people in new states, Rippling can automatically register your startup with each state tax agency and keep you compliant with all the different local labor laws. You know, the stuff that no one likes to deal with all that headache they're there for you rippling also lets you onboard your new hires in literally 90 seconds you can instantly set up their payroll benefits and of course apps like slack and github you can even ship them a work laptop with all the software and security they need all installed we love rippling because it takes a lot of complexity off our plate so the team can focus on important stuff like creating great newsletters which is what they do over there and now thanks to rippling's new peo option your employees can likely access better fortune 500 level benefits for less than other platforms. So if you're looking for an easier way to run your startup remotely, or just a better way to manage your HR and IT, visit rippling.com slash twist. That's rippling, R-I-P-P-L-I-N-G.com slash twist. And then, you know, I had that same moment when I looked at zero fasting, um, which your fingerprints are all over and watching that product come out, I was like, God, you know, the last time I opened an app and I saw something this good might have been like, calm or maybe like uber 2.0 like when they the first one was kind of janky they really rushed it but maybe the second version what do you think when you look at product what is your product philosophy have you have you thought about it because this would be the book that if yeah. you wrote 
<laughs> I mean, this is the book you're born to write, like, is just how to approach product. What's your philosophy? Well, I mean, the, the one distraction that very creative people have, um, and I'm, I'm not saying that I'm this very creative person, but I, I have you some are. creativity. Uh, the one problem that a lot of product people that I work with that are on the creative side tend to have is they're just filled with ideas. They have a lot of ideas. And because mm -hmm. of that, they have a massive laundry list of things that they want to go build. And so, uh, you know, for me, I'm kind of in that camp where I will say, wouldn't it be cool if these 30 things existed? But the discipline you have to have is how can you boil it down to go build the two or three things and a product that just absolutely must exist for that product to get off the ground. So rather than try and boil the ocean, you say, how can I do these core couple of things really, really, really well and see if that works. And that'll shorten your development timeline down to just a couple of months versus six months, eight months, or however long it takes to launch something for most people. And so it allows me to test the water. So zero is a great example. You know, I was like, I was big into intermittent, fa intermittent fasting. I loved, um, the science that was coming out from Dr. Walter Longo at a USC, there was some great, fantastic human placebo, double blinded, like the gold standard for, for science. Um, data that was coming out around autophagy and uh, glu uh, improved glucose levels and a whole slew of things around the chemotherapy and helping people go through um, uh, chemotherapy with a lot less side effects. And it was just, it was promising all around. So did a little search in the app store. There was no, nothing dedicated to fasting. You know, this was five years ago, whatever, what is five, six years ago, maybe five mm. years ago. And um, there was nothing out there. And I was like, well, this is going to be something. This is going to be a trend and it's going to blow up pretty quick. So why not just create, put your toe in the water, get an mm. ink, get, get something out there right. that is very basic. So I'm like, okay, well, let's just make a timer. Well, why do you need a timer? My phone has a timer. Okay. But does it track historically how you've done on your fast? How many hours are you doing for each fast? And mm. so it was a timer with a, with a, 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 basically a calendar. So you could see how have you, you've done fast over time, your right. average fast, and all your that streaks. good stuff. Yeah. Your streaks, things like basically, that. Basically what you would have done in a Google sheet, like when fasting right. started and I heard you and Kevin, um, you and uh, Tim Ferriss talking about it. I was like, oh, okay. And I just like opened up a Google sheet. I was like, okay, right. let me just put my start and end time. And then I saw it. I got zero fasting. I pay for the subscription one. And my brother and my other friend, all of us were trying to lose weight. We all started doing it. We all lost 10 pounds. It was just like right. unbelievable. And now the product, it's such, it's so interesting that the dipping of your toe or the building the, you know, the simplest version of your vision that mm -hmm. solves that one acute problem leads to a bunch of other opportunities uh, opening up. How do you know what's the next piece to do and how to have that restraint? Because I think what you're talking about here is restraint, right? Right. In execution. And there's two, if I, if I can repeat it back to you to make sure I understand, and for the audience, there are two components here. There's this essentialism, you know, in terms of the functionality, which makes it very clear the user proposition, I would assume, so people understand what you've built. But it also lets you get something into market quickly, correct? Mm -hmm. That's right. That's right. And then I think the next series of features, there's going to be two pieces. One is the, the lawn, go back to your laundry list of things that you haven't yet built that you want to build. And the second thing, and an even more important one, is that your community is going to be like, if you have traction, your community is going to start telling you what they want. And mm -hmm. so, and, and you can tease that out of them. So one of the things that, that Mike was really good at that we did is we like put together uh, uh, potential features that we could, um, introduce and then do surveys to one in 100 users and just kind of like see 
if you had to stack rank them, what were the next features that people wanted to see in the product mm. itself? And we already knew that this was our, a list of stuff we want to build anyway, but let's, let's let the community decide and sort uh, which features come next. And so, you know, that was, uh, that's a great way to kind of like continue to um, introduce things that are going to be uh, excited. The community get excited about, and mm. then it just continued to snowball from there. And that is when I realized this needs a dedicated team. Mazer took the, the, the asset off of me. Um, you know, I kept some ownership just for, for being along with it, but let him, you know, go and run it day to day and, and, and go build it out. So, um, yeah, now that so you got has, your rush, uh, yeah, for the launch yeah, got my rush. without the scalp moment. And it's doing fantastic because there is a very interesting feature, which has your fingerprints on it as well. And it is at the top. When I first got it, it said like, there's 800 people fasting with zero. Yeah. And I just opened it up now and there's 570,000 people fasting with zero. Did you come up with that idea of actually putting in there how many people are using it? Or where did you that, find that inspiration? And what, what's the point of that sharing uh, the consumption? Yeah, I mean, we've done that with all the stuff that I, I touch. You're right. That was good for you to point out because like I... I I thought it was really important to have a live number of who, how many people are using this. Um, and then we did the same thing on the meditation app that I built, like the number of people that are meditating right now or the number of people that are doing breathing exercises right now. Just like you want to know that uh, as a user coming into this, it's like, how can you build, the, how can you create this idea of I'm part of the community and I'm doing this, this somewhat difficult thing. Like when you first start fasting for the first time, oh. I mean, like anyone can do a 12 hour fast, 13 hours, like it's, it's, it's actually tough for some people. Yeah. And then you go to 16 hours and that some people will, they just like, can't minds. even imagine they'll lose their minds going 16 that's hours me. without food. Yeah, um, but you know, you, 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 when you're in there and you can tap on that and you can see, Oh, there's 20,000 or 100,000 other people doing a 16 hour fast right now. I'm not alone. Like other people are doing this. You give some, get some sense of other people are being successful. So can I. And so mm. anytime you can reveal a little bit of that and pepper that into a product, I think it's a good thing. Yes. And for people who don't know, the first time on the web that the like button existed was on a site called dig.com to educate people. Cause now you and I are so old, Kevin. That people don't know the first projects we work on. Like yeah. they know you as a venture capitalist or maybe because of zero, they don't know Dig. They don't know Weblogs Inc. or Silicon Alley Reporter. They're just like, oh, you're the Uber guy or you're the This Week in Startups guy. It's kind of funny. Um, you, it is you so funny. I've, I've had people, honestly, <laughs> there was one time, I think it was, we had this like temp nanny come over and she's like, I looked up your name and I saw that you created zero. Oh my God. Like, and I was like, holy shit. Like, like no, everybody's forgotten everything you've done except yes. for your most recent thing, you know? And like that it's, happened to be the thing that just like spoke to her, which is great. I think it's very important for creators um, to understand this. And you know, it's actually a very interesting moment where you yourself still don't think that you're a lead creator or creative. You're like, I guess I'm sort of creative. I think you're at the height of product creativity. I don't think it gets any better, Kevin. You, I think you can admit that you're a creative now. What's I appreciate that. that. <laughs> I, I enjoy it. Is that you it. revere, you know, other creators so much that you don't want to put yourself in the group or? <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's like, I'm trying to, um, I think that one of the things that I, I, I try to reinforce in myself over and over again is that I, I, I don't want to get a big head about all this stuff, you know, sure. whether it be on the investing side or on the, on the creation side and like, I feel like um, 
that that's an important that, that that's a thing that you can let your ego get wrapped up on in a lot of this stuff and i i try i tr- i try to like just tell myself like you're you're just like everyone else like don't 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 um don't buy your own bullshit like don't don't try right. and you know so i don't know i've made a lot of mistakes too so i i'm i'm i think yeah. That if you try and fail as many times as I can, you will get some home runs. Just be like the sheer number of times you've had the up at bat, right? So yeah, I think like, you're probably a little better than that. But I do think there's something to that because you can get high on your own supply. That's right. Very quickly. And it's so random in our industry. What clicks? What doesn't? There is so much luck involved, you know. That's right. I, I'm not sure what your top investment is, but I'm. what is your top investment? And then how did it go down? Because I'm sure there is some randomness to it. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, if I hadn't seen Travis coming out of a party on the Embarcadero and said, yeah, put me down for whatever an Uber, it wouldn't have happened, right? Like, right, I just happened right. to be out that night. The round could have closed. I mean, there's, my life is filled with these stories. Like, this yeah. is, this is the story of, in, of investors. Like, I, yeah. I feel like there's the, the stuff that I really, really sought out, which I would say, like I would put that in the like like I did a good job at like getting this mm. deal done. Like I I I went and tracked down Jack. I had him on my podcast. I convinced mm. him to be an angel in square. Like that was a massive like congratulations. Great win. Wow. But but you know it's like I I think that 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 I'm I'm proud of the stuff that is the crazy stuff is that I've had cryptocurrency investments outpace that return mm. just because somebody was like hey do you want to throw in some cash on this crazy new up and coming project and you put a little bit of money in and all of yep. a sudden it turns into a boatload and you're like holy crap like that's that's insane this is a weird world that we live on live in you know it's just yeah. So it's a little bit of everything. It's a little bit of luck. It's a little bit of you get excited about a project. And then there's a lot of stuff that goes to zero as well. Like, yeah. you know, Kevin uh, from Ship, who I thought was a fantastic uh, oh my entrepreneur. God, yeah. I mean, he, he, I was just chatting with him the other day and he's like, oh, it's crazy. Like Ship, everyone thought that was going to be the next Uber. Like that, that was going to be massive. It felt like it. Yeah. He had a 40 million. I remember he had like a $40 million valuation. I was like, I'm, I'm really sorry. I, he wanted me as an investor. I was like, I, I can't justify this. I invested at Uber at 5 million. Like, this makes no sense to me. Like, $40 million? You're further behind than when I invested in Uber. And that was like a weakness on my part is that I was actually thinking that that first 8x made a difference, right? When it's yeah. <laughs> it's the last 8x that actually makes the difference on these investments, as we see over and uh, over again. From websites and online stores to marketing tools and analytics, Squarespace is the all-in-one platform to build a beautiful online presence and run your business. With Squarespace, you can blog or publish content easily, promote your business, announce upcoming events or special projects, sell products and services of all kind, and more. No matter the problem, Squarespace is the answer because they have beautiful templates by world-class designers, powerful e-commerce functionality built right in, and everything is optimized for mobile right out of the box. You have built-in SEO, free and secure hosting, and of course, 24-7 award-winning customer support. And back in 2020, when we were in the middle of the pandemic, we decided to create RemoteDemoDay.com for founders to pitch thousands of angel investors. And I said, hey, let's get a beautiful site up immediately. My team immediately went to work with Squarespace, and it's been a huge success for us. We found a number of amazing investments and really just planting a flag and building a beautiful website and tweeting it and sharing it. That's what makes the magic happen. People come, they go, wow, this looks credible. This is beautiful. You know what? It was just an idea 15 minutes ago, and now it's a beautiful presence online. 
So go to squarespace.com slash twist for a free trial. Squarespace.com slash twist. Squarespace.com slash twist. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code twist to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Go to squarespace.com slash twist for a free trial. I want to go back to creativity for a second. I've known you since you were on GTV. Uh, what was that called? G4, G4 TV. Tech TV. Yeah, was, yeah. After Tech TV merged with, with G4. That was 2002 or three? Uh, that would have been 2000. And, well, you, we met in 2004 because that's when I launched Dig. And so we met in LA at a sushi restaurant. Yep. Um, shortly after, Colorado. maybe like just a couple months. I mean, you saw Dig really early, man. We were like yeah. maybe three months out or you something. You had spent $3,000 on a developer or $2,000 on a developer to big it, build it. And yeah. I was just watching the... Enga- I was like inside of Google Analytics or the server logs and Brian Alvey was... I would have him run the server logs through some script. And then he'd send them to me and I'm just like studying it like a maniac. Like, where did the traffic come from and how do we get more? And I was like, what the fuck is this dig thing? And how is this thing go from nothing to every one of our stories? It's a number one source of traffic. I was like, this thing's going to be bigger than us. We have to buy it quick. (laughs) And so I called Mark Cuban and I was like, can I have a million dollars? He's like, for what? I was like, to buy dig. He's like, okay. I was like, great, I'll be right back. (laughs) You, you, um, You had the hottest uh, properties on the internet. Those were the hottest sites. Yeah. You, you, you blog, had them joystick, all. everything. Yeah. Well, you know, I got very lucky. You know, it's the, when you were talking about talent, the first thing that came to mind was Peter Rojas. Mm-hmm. Because I, you know, I'm a promoter and a marketer more than a product builder. I mean, I'll give myself some modest credit as like an okay builder of product. I think you're elite. I'm okay. Mahalo was, was great, re- by the way. Which one? Mahalo. I know. I mean, I, I look back on it. I was like, oh my God, I should have stayed focused because I got so many things right. I knew that search would change from 10 blue links to what it is now, comprehensive search. And I I came up with that name, comprehensive search. What if the images and the video and content were mixed with the search results? So I had the right idea. Oh, you had the the perfect, I mean, you were just like 10 years too too soon. Yeah, that is, that is so much PTSD to be that close, (laughs) you know? It was a beautiful design too. Everything about it was great. I thought that was a fantastic product. Well, I appreciate that. You know, the way I got that was I, I said to myself, what is the most beautiful now that I've been anointed by Sequoia, and they've given me money and other investors have come in, I'm going to buy the best logo ever. And I said, I love the Firefox and the Mozilla logos. And the what was the what was their email called Thunderbird? Yeah, Thunderbird with the with the like the bird on top of the, the Yes. F- yeah. And so I was like, who designed the Firefox logo? And hold on, I gotta look it up. I forgot the guy's name, John Hicks. And so because I had seen you do this with dig, you had a fucking great logo. And you, the dig nation logo was great. you you understood that piece too. And I found John Hicks who was living in Europe. And um, I said, I, I want you to do the logo for Mahalo. I got this name. And he's like, you know, it's a six month wait, whatever. I said, Well, how much do you charge? He said, I charge 1500. I said, I'll give you 3000 if you do it for me first. And he said, I'm sorry, I can't do it. I said, five. <laughs> Such a Jason thing to do. <laughs> Dead awesome. silence. Dead silence. And he goes, okay. And I, I, I said, 5,000, I'll send it to you in advance. No kill fear or anything. I'll send you $5,000 today if you do it. And he said, okay. That's amazing. <laughs> I don't know. Thank you, John Hicks. Because once I had that logo mm-hmm. and I put it on everything, people were like, that's a beautiful logo. It was beautiful. Yeah. He, he put the Palmera from Hawaii and I saw it, Kevin, you ever get that tingly feeling when you get something right? Oh, for sure. 
that was my tingly feel. I was like, holy fuck. Yeah. And then I built the answers product. I had done a Q&A product. As part of it, I was like, okay, if we don't have the search result, let me ask a question. And then we'll let people answer. I built Quora into it. And mm -hmm. then I said, build Mahalo dollars, because I had heard about the money being made in China and virtual games. I was like, just let people get a dollar of Mahalo dollars and then cash them in for logo based shirts and hats. And it was all working. And then I, it just got, got taken away from me by that goddamn search engine panda update that Google did. Oh, interesting. Because they, yeah, they took they away back all your traffic. search traffic. Crazy. 90% overnight. Wow. Ehow, myself, WikiHow. Google was like, you know what? No more SEO. We're cutting off all the sites and we're going to just redistribute wealth. And they just, we went from a $10 million run rate on AdSense. We're literally making, you know, a couple thousand dollars a day on it. And then they just took it all away. Wow. Overnight. I was like, and I, I'm like, I'm calling Sergey. I'm calling Megan uh, Smith. I'm calling everybody I know, Marissa. I'm like, please give me my traffic back. They're like, yeah, you know, that's, that's a decision made by the search team. I'm like, who? And they're like, uh, you know, we don't know. <laughs> and I was like, you don't know. They're like, yeah, that's a black box. We can't help you. Oh, jeez. It was just such a, what PTSD. You had the same thing with the dig 3.0. What was it called? The, the yeah, dig. it was our, it was our, uh, our big redesign. Yeah. I was about to say that was your Vietnam, but I don't think I can make those kind of analogies anymore without being canceled. But that was your unwinnable war. Let me say it that way. Yeah, that was um, that was an, uh, a, a shift of all of our resources to become more commercial, and it really was against everything the community stood for. And so right. it was it was not the it was in the best interest of the folks that wanted an outcome. Meaning, like if you're uh, if you want us to prep for a sale or you know there was there was a there was a lot of a lot of forces at play around that redesign but yeah you would get I, you were how old were you at that time you were late 20s yeah that sounds right yeah see this was i think the unraveling for you from my perception you tell me if i'm anywhere near close the pressure to build the next facebook the next google from venture capitalists the world whatever was pushing you to do things that were unnatural, unobtainable, unsustainable. And then Reddit was because it had been sold and it was just like left alone and neglected. Neglecting meant staying the course. Right. And change meant not staying the course. No, you're exactly that right. Like when we looked at Reddit, we thought, okay, here's a community that had, I mean, I think they sold for $10 million or something like that for the yeah, first round. Yeah. And when that happened, you know, we looked at that and we were like, well, that was, that was a failure. Um, in that, you know, it wasn't a fantastic outcome for pretty much anyone involved. And, no. um, we thought, well, in order to get a larger outcome, and, you know, when we met at board meetings and things like that, it was like, well, we need to clean up our act. We mm -hmm. need to not get all these stories that the community loves on the homepage, but we need to get more traditional news on the homepage. We need to put mm -hmm. um, that at the forefront. So we need to give publishers more tools to get their content elevated above wow. whatever the community was servicing. So, and, and to your, to your point, Reddit was like, let's just stay the course, be true to who we are, and then open up subreddits, which allows the insanely long tail of content to flourish. And um, that just, that was the unlock for them. But you know what? We take all of these mistakes forward with us. You know, I'm sure Alexis and um, his partner, um, 
Uh, Steve Huffman, um, they sold too soon. The classic mistake, selling too soon. Yours was bowing to the pressure of venture capitals. They put a professional CEO in charge of your company, right? Or you did. When in fact, you know, the right move is to let the Kevin Rose, the, the Elon Musk run the company, the Zuckerberg, let them run the company, don't replace them. But people forget that at that moment in time, the entire concept was to replace the founder as quick as possible with professional management. Right. Such a disaster, you know? Yeah, total disaster. It just like, it completely changes the culture, changes the product decisions. It just like, it was, it was a mess. And so, you know, after that all unraveled, I peeled off and, and I tried to buy it back actually like a month ago. Well, the guy from buy, sell ads, Todd yeah. owns it. Yeah. He won't sell to me. He won't. I, I'm no. friendly with Todd. I'll talk to him. That's so dumb. He should, I mean, owning 10% of a Kevin Rose owned dig will be worth more than buy, sell ads owned dig ever. Yeah. He has some plans. I don't know what the deal is. He had some plans where he wanted to, to kind of re reintroduce some dig like features in some way. And he showed me a page and I looked at it and I was like, I, I mean, he seems like a nice enough guy, but it just wasn't like what I would build. I would, I would totally go back to, to the original vibe. So I like that you have unfinished business with it and you've been oh, thinking I, about I, it. I would say I have unfinished business in the sense that I would have a lot of fun with it and I would restore it to a better version uh, and a more pure version of what it used to be. And not with the, with the ever, the hope that I'd ever overtake Reddit. It would be just out of the pure, like, let's get it back to an amazing fun site and project yes, again. Easy to do, Kevin. We just get D2.com and D2, you just build yeah. it. I'm, I'm not kidding. Trust me. I know how to do these negotiations. It's very simple. I'll go talk to Todd. I'll say, listen, Kevin's building this D2. It's going to come out anyway. You're focused on your business. You're putting 5% of your energy into dig. And he's going to do D2. You're going to miss out on the opportunity to own 10% of what Kevin can build as opposed to 100% of what you're spending 5% of your time on. It's a no-brainer. No Once you build D2, then what's the point of even owning Dig? It's going to be worthless. Yeah. It's, it's just a domain it's, name. It's definitely... Um, th do there's it. a lot of new new tech that is really exciting in this space and on the machine learning side and like the, the new yes. story aggregation and, and also the cryptocurrency piece of it as well, like allowing for microtransactions and empowering community to do the right thing for um, pieces of the actual entity itself. It's, it's interesting stuff. It's a lot well, of work so though, interesting. man, to be honest, like it's a ton of work. Like we can also it's just a ton of work, and invest. But I could see it in your eyes right now. Like it's <laughs> yeah. the work you want to do. And just thinking about it, like so much has been built on your original vision. And, and also, I guess, Slashdot was part of that, right? That, and FARC, would th those were the two that came before? Yeah. Did those exist before? Like oh, absolutely. Link yeah, FARC sites? and, yeah, those were, they didn't have voting in any way. Or did FARC have voting? I don't know I if don't it did. It I don't voting. think it did. I think it just ranked no. it based on comments or something. I can't remember. Yeah, but it was, I, I don't know how FARC did it. Um, it did Drew, it by day. Right? It was just a collection like of links day. in the beginning. Yeah. yeah, it was like, here's today's 10 links or 20 links. Yeah. And there were some but, concepts on there that you wouldn't be able to do today. <laughs> it was yes. like a category called like some anatom anatomical part of a person's body that you would Oh, that's right. Yeah, do FARC you remember had that? some like, yeah. Yeah. We'll getting a that. lot of trouble. I wonder if it's still, are they still doing that? They can't be. They can't possibly be. I, I mean. I haven't looked up FARC. Drew Curtis, I that's right. I haven't been on FARC in forever. Oh my God, it's the same design. It's the same design. That's <laughs> incredible. Amazing. Logo of the company, the category, interesting groups, facepalm, 
And then there used to be an animated GIF of uh, breasts, and it would literally be like every 10th story with these 12 year old boys posting stuff would be about a woman's breasts. But I don't yeah, think they have that I on think, there. Anymore. I think they cleaned it up. They cleaned it up. Yeah. I think that would get them canceled pretty immediately these days. But yeah, that's a really interesting idea. If you could create a cryptocurrency, because there is that Steemit, is that the name of it? Or yeah, Steemit. Yeah, so Steemit is basically like a dig, dig or Reddit clone with a cryptocurrency built in, but the owning of the coins and having the D the D coins or the D2 coins or the K-Row coins, oh my lord. Oh, you should totally do it. Yeah, and the machine learning exists too, right? Oh. Then you could show people what they want to see plus what's trending. Some amalgamation of that, right? Yeah, I mean, also you could do a, a really fun things around a prediction market, right? You could say, I believe this story will eventually have more sway mm -hmm. and value in the ecosystem. So I'm going to place an early vote on it um, uh. and kind of like bet some of my currency in a way. Oh, um, like betting on a stock. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, but on an individual story level. So you can kind of say, like, wow. I believe this has enough, the, this should deserves more prominence. And so I'm going to place like, my little wager here. And, and then if it becomes more popular within the ecosystem it gets rewarded more so i put a k row i'm going to call the, the coins k rows for kevin rose appreciate that i put one k row on the story i'm the original poster i'm the op and then you vote on it next you put in two k rows and then it hits the homepage. we get paid off the other k rows that were voting it up or something right exactly so and this was one of the ideas i always had was like, i wonder if you if curation could be a paid thing like if people curating stuff could be an actual job it's turned out maybe everybody knows that zendesk is the go-to tool for customer support it's the gold standard but what you may not know is zendesk also offers a suite of sales tools designed to remove the difficulties of sales software so sales teams like yours can go spend more time on what really matters to their business which of course is having better customer conversations even better zendesk is offering this suite of sales tools plus their industry-leading support software for free for six months as part of the zendesk for startups program think about that Along with the free access to all of Zendesk as part of the program, you'll also get access to Zendesk's community of startup founders and partners who will teach you all the best practices to better serve your customers. And they'll even offer dedicated onboarding guidance and support to get you up and running in no time. Steezy, one of our great investments here at Launch, they teach people how to dance. It's a subscription service. Think Calm Meditation, Steezy for dance. They rely on Zendesk and they love it. They use the combination of Zendesk Explorer and their ticket tagging system so that they can track which features their users want and that they're most excited about. And then they take all of that information from the customer support channel and they give it to the product team, right? Get six months of Zendesk for free at zendesk.com slash twist. And to qualify for this program, because they're giving it to you for free, they just ask that you have under 50 employees and you've raised a series A or below, right? So if you're a series B and you got 100 employees, why don't you go ahead and pay for the product, okay? But this is Zendesk for startups. It's free. Zendesk.com slash twist. What do you think of the Twitter vision of, you know, talking about product? And there's another product that I think has done well because the critique of Twitter is they don't evolve it which then also becomes a secret strength, right? Mm -hmm. That's what we've learned is don't not changing the design. And that restraint is a way of succeeding. So what do you think of their new vision, you're going to be able to subscribe to people's profiles, you're going to be able to charge you for seeing their tweets. 
Honestly, I and I may get a lot of flack for this, but I, I think it's great. I think there's two there's I two pieces. I, I like that they're trying to to introduce new ways for people to monetize their content and keep it all directly on Twitter. And I also really like, I don't know if you've seen, but they have a Clubhouse competitor now. Yeah. Oh, I'm on it. I was the first like big account. I begged them to be on it. And it's brilliant. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. And it's right there where everyone already is, right? Yes. The number one thing is when Native. I when I send out at a clubhouse, people are like, oh, I don't have it yet. And I may have to go mm-hmm. to another app. Like people are right Rebuild there on Twitter. Graph. Yeah. That is that is the smartest uh product move from 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 Jack and team to go and, and tackle that market right away. Just take on Clubhouse right now. Now's the but, time. You gotta roll that out as fast course. as possible. Uh, I think they got their Android out already. And when you look at it, I think they're going to have more minutes listened because I watched a couple of like key accounts, um, like blue checkmark style accounts. And when they started rooms, uh, Kara Swisher, I opened up her room, it was 40 blue checkmarks. And I was like, Oh, my Lord, she's had a 1000 people on her podcast or on her state or maybe 10,000 over the decades. She's going to be able to pull in all these top people with out them installing a new app right and then did you see the thing where you can share if you're a speaker you can share a tweet and the tweet becomes an object on the stage no i didn't see that okay so this is the sick feature we're in this amazing we're all talking you if you're a speaker you can pick any tweet so we're talking and you're like oh yeah yeah you know that reminds me of you know the time uh mark cuban said x and then all of a sudden boop we're yep. all sitting in a theater and the PowerPoint presentation is Mark Cuban's tweet. And we're talking yep. about it. Then when somebody else puts one up, it stacks them and then puts the little dots on the bottom, like a um, cover flow or a, a yeah. gallery. And you can swipe through the gallery. Wow. Brilliant. Of the tweets. So when I was started talking, somebody who was a speaker was listening to what I was saying and was popping up the tweets that were related to it. So people could then go down the rabbit hole on Twitter to understand the topic more so they can make a more informed comment or contribution on the audio. It's crazy. It, it's it's really cool to see that Twitter, I mean, there's a thousand things they could have built. They took their time, they waited, and these these feel very core and native to Twitter versus something forced. Would you agree with that? This is completely native to Twitter is what you're saying. Yeah, meaning that it feels yeah. like it's a nice product extension to what they already have. Oh, it's perfect. Versus it being like why some kind so of perfect? weird... Why is it so perfect? I have my thoughts, but I'm curious of why you think this is the, the ultimate natural extension for them and it feels so organic. What do you think the reason is? Well, I, I feel like the, we are, as a, a ecosystem, when you think about Twitter, one of the things that um, was a big pain point over... All of this stuff, whether it be all the election drama or even before that with, with, with Trump and all the chaos around all the politics on there has been that it's, it's very easy to say something that's really harsh. Um, and just walk away and just let things explode and not yep. really have a conversation around things. And so I love that this is actually forcing people into a real dialogue and real audio, real conversation. I think there's power in that. Um, to get people talking versus just like blurting out a tweet and walking away. And so that was the one thing that I saw from Clubhouse from the very early days is it, is it felt so much more intimate to have a, co- a real-time conversation than just like a, st- a static tweet, right? This is exactly what you literally, if I was going to say it, you, your, our answers are perfectly aligned, which is Twitter and social media is a misunderstanding and a dunk fest. And it, mm-hmm. the, the greatest weakness of Twitter 
is that people talk through and over and under right. each other. Exactly. They dunk on each other. They, it turns into a flame war. It is the problem with text is there's no tone. Mm -hmm. And then you add this sophisticated tone to a platform that is already a cacophony of every argument and discussion going on in the world. And then you can use that as a funnel to an actually considered discussion. Right. It's a funnel. It's like chaos and then understanding. Right. And so I've seen this multiple times where people were talking through each other and then they said, let's start a clubhouse room. Mm hmm. So I think that you'll use text until such time as you feel misunderstood or the conversations devolve significantly to which somebody says, you know what, you guys should just talk it out in a in a Twitter space. Right. That's it. And it I, takes I'm, Twitter's I'm really, weakness I'm really and makes it a strength. Yeah, I, I would. Yeah, that's exactly it. And I would love that to be the case. Let's hope it goes there. I feel like it is. I feel like it is. Did you get caught up in all that? like Trump derangement syndrome and all the toxicity of the last four years? Did it, did it hurt you? You're such a, I wouldn't say you're sensitive, but I think you're considered. Uh, I wouldn't say, I certainly wouldn't, I, I think you're sensitive. But I don't think you're overly, I don't see you as an overly sensitive person, but I do see you as a very considered person. Has this like made you sad? Well, for me, I, I just, you know, I, I certainly see the impact uh, of social media gone wrong. And it's a, it's a really, it's a really sad thing. And I think that, you know, we all know that the creators of all this stuff, right? And, and it w that wasn't the intention when they set out oh, to create this stuff. Quite the opposite. It was quite the opposite. And so when you see that happen um, and you believe in the potential, um, you know, I'm, I'm just really excited to see some potential solutions to those issues, uh, at least on the roadmap. So that's good. In terms of politics, I, my wife is insanely uh, pol politically driven, and mm. I get enough of it from her at the dinner table Contact that, that I tend to, <laughs> I tend to like not like for me, I can't read political news every day, I'll just go crazy. <sighs> It's just too, too stressful for me. Like, yes. I'm like, I'd almost rather have it in a newspaper format. You <laughs> know, as old school as that sounds. Like, give it to me after it's been considered. Give me like a day or two later. The real time stuff of what was going on with Twitter and everything else. It was just, it was, it was. If if I allowed myself, it would really, really be too much. You know, too too distracting. It is so distracting. I feel like I, I as a person who believes deeply in freedom of speech. I am pragmatically delighted that Trump is no longer in the town square because just for the the silence and the space for other people to have a moment to contribute, right? Like he was taking up so much of the dialogue with nonsense yeah. that I just felt like it was, I don't know, it just got very boring to me to like hear him say something outrageous for the left to fall for it for the right to then troll the left it was like this is yeah. just such a disgusting distraction i don't want any part of it anymore yeah that would you we're on the same page like i for me it was um i'm, I'm fine with debating and discussing and like I, a lot of my family, well, the way I grew up was Republican. That was like my, my, I come from a, my, my father and mother and everybody, they're all Republicans. Yeah, I, I kind of, I, I, yeah, conservative. And I, and I moved to San Francisco and after a couple of years, I, I started kind of leaning a little bit more left and, and then I became a Democrat and, and now, you know, I still share a dinner table with these people and I'm, I'm fine with entertaining those values because there's some fantastic values mixed in there, but I just can't take the lies. Like, let's have an yes. honest conversation about things. Sure. Like, let's yeah. not lie, just make up things. It's pretty crazy. Like, 
just the the level of derangement that's occurred on on all sides and it, yes there's so many big problems for society that i i feel like we don't have time for this you know you look at global warming <laughs> you, you look at poverty you look at education you, you look at china and the relationship there there's so many big picture things we need to solve like we really don't have time to be at each other's uh throats about this when you when you were at or at uh, True Ventures, were you involved in the Peloton investment at all, or just got to watch that? Yeah, yeah I'm watch I watched it. So I, you know, I've, True's backed a couple of my companies previously, so I've known those folks for a long time, and and they invested in Peloton very early on. Um, you know, it was just a fantastic story. It continues to be a fantastic story to watch that all unfold. Um, we still have a board seat there. John Callahan's wow. on the board, um, and so yeah, it's, uh, it's what's John like. Oh, he's brilliant. What's his superpower? Because, you know, I, I invited him on the pod a couple of times, but he is kind of doesn't do a lot of press, huh? He doesn't do a ton of press. Yeah. He's just this insanely thoughtful and someone that um, he spends a ton of time working on EQ. Like he's a very much oh. an EQ driven person and, mm. and is very good at reading the room and just bringing out the best in people and kind of like focusing the conversation towards that. So fantastic leader in a very measured and thoughtful way. Um, so there's not a lot of drama. True is like one of the, the lowest drama firms I've ever been Lately. involved with. It's like, yeah. it's a fantastic place for me. Cause I don't, I am also someone that, that aspires to be like that. So I think that, yeah, he's just very early at spotting these big trends and taking and placing bets on companies that most people will, at the time would, would have said no to. That's so a, such an easy one to pass on Peloton because you're like, oh, hardware? Yeah, no. Right. Oh, expensive hardware and a subscription? People will never pay for that. I mean, hardware's too hard. Consumer subscription, too hard. This will never work. And then you look at it, and I put my Peloton treadmill... I don't like bike riding because it hurts my knees after doing so many marathons. But I do like, you know, just walking on my treadmill and watching a nice TV show or listening to a podcast and playing chess. And I am just so in love with that product. I get on that product, it feels like, you know, sliding into my Tesla Model Y. Yes. Or, you know, unpacking a new iPhone. Where do you get your design inspiration from? I'm curious, like when you are looking to sort of fill your bucket with ideas and, you know, I'm looking at your microphone and your headphones now, and obviously you designed your own house and you have known you, I've watched you on your journey become more and more, I mean, let's face it, you're obsessed with design, I think, and culture. When did that start and, and where is it now? That's this a obsession question. With design. Uh, well, I would say that, um, it's it's something where I've always been uh, ever since I was younger, like first starting to build products. I've always been it, like you when you were, were seeking out the best designer for the Mahalo logo. I've always been like uh, someone that would browse Dribble and some of the yes. other design sites and just look at Lose the best hours. design work out there. Lose hours. Yeah. So, so I great. was you know whenever there's mockups for stuff, I just love to think through that stuff and just. When I'm when I see something creative that hasn't been done before, whether it be mostly on the kind of like UX side where someone figures out a clever way to hide data that is still discoverable or just some some kind of just new thinking there, it's always 
um, got me excited. So I, I, I became fans of these best of the top designers out there, you know, the Daniel Burkas of the world and um, just like a he whole was your sl- Johnny Ive, right? He was my Johnny Ive for sure. Yeah, like he was. What's, what's that cat up to now? Is he got a job or is he just counting his money? He, he must have done fabulous, right? I hope so. Yeah, he's he's done. I mean, he was he was with uh, Stuart um, before Slack was Slack, and they were the game never ending. So uh, yeah. he was he joined uh, Stuart Butterfield over there. Was their first uh, founding designer. Um, so had just a ton of ownership in Slack, and yeah, he's um, he's in the UK now, living with his his girlfriend and uh, working on bigger health problems. So he's he's working at this massive um, uh, company that is trying to tackle healthcare in third world countries. So wow. for him, he's going and designing, you know, mostly Android applications to enable doctors on the ground in third world countries to be able to diagnose and get compliance around medication use and oh. just some really unsexy things but it has to be so dead simple for people that don't understand technology that he mm-hmm. wants to go in and contribute that way so he's like a salt of the earth type dude like canadian like the nicest guy in the oh world oh my god i'm on his web page right now simple.org i think is the name of it according to his wikipedia page and i guess tom frieden created this and he's the ceo of resolve to save lives a 225 million dollar five units to prevent e- epidemics and cardiovascular disease yeah he's working wow. with uh, on hypertension right now amazing and you can see how simple the app is <laughs> a oh, simple it's, dashboard it's super basic BP. but it has yeah. to be it's back to what we said originally is to take out the ideas and then start with the one basic idea yeah, I mean, he he spent a, a bunch of months in India in the middle of nowhere, and he said that he was talking to me about the issues with getting people to just know when to show up for an appointment, how you can train someone to enter the right data, meaning like when you're entering blood pressure information, um, fasting sugar levels, like you have to make it just for someone that is new to technology and using an Android for, phone for the first time, they're not going to screw it up. And so that's, that's what he's focused on. It's just like a fantastic mission. Tell me the designers, cultures, moments of, you know, elite design uh, and product and services that inspire you or have inspired you. And we were talking yeah. about Japan before we got on here. And, you know, I, I, I watch you, Tony, Om Malik, Matt Mullenweg, all of our circle become obsessed with Japan right after we go why do people who do what we do immediately appreciate that culture and then just feel like that is the i I almost feel like that's the society i I want to aspire towards yeah (laughs) well i I think when i went to japan for the first time well not the first time but in more recent trips I, i remember seeing someone i was waiting for an uber i was standing outside on the street First of all, just the respect for the environment and the country and how clean everything is, is just like unbelievable. But aside from that, I was sitting across the street from, and I watched this old man come out, this old Japanese man came out of his house and he had a cloth in his hand and he started polishing his own mailbox, like literally like doing small little, like polishing the mailbox. And I just remember the respect for your own things. And just the simplicity of like that, that attention to detail and focus. And when you go to Japan and you meet these people that are building um, or, or, or have created anything for that matter, if you're an artisan and you've created something in Japan and you're the best at what you do, 
you get a ton of local respect and honor mm. for being, and it doesn't matter what your position is, meaning like you don't have to be a fortune 500 CEO. You right. can just be the best barista in the world. And like, we were talking about this before the show started, like yep. there are coffee masters out there that age coffee beans for 30 or 40 years. And it's one guy and you walk in and there's seats, six people. And you know, they are a rock star in that world because they have decided to hone their craft to that one very specific thing. And that's what their life's work is. Mm -hmm. So just the fact that they can go and find their life's work and be at the best of that, like I have a lot of respect for that. It's a beautiful thing. And it's a sad thing that we don't have that level of appreciation uh, for craft here in the United States. I, I guess in some cases we do, but but not as widespread as it is in Japan. Yeah, not at all. I mean, I knew that there was something special going on there on my first trip when I first went on the subway. I was looking at the sign trying to figure out where how to get from Rapungi to wherever I was going. Um, and oh, I know what it was. I was going to go to the Skiji fish market the next day. I was just trying to figure out the map and what time. And I'm standing there looking up at the map and the time schedule. And then there's somebody next to me and then another person next to me and then a third person. And they all started speaking English very basically and trying to figure out what I was trying to accomplish. And then they one of them walked me to my train and waited for me with the train this is on the subway mm -hmm. and they're all wearing white gloves and the place was spotless and they just wanted to make sure that somebody who was visiting the country clearly was not going to get lost or get off at the wrong station right yep i've had that happen to me i've had the exact same story happen to me where someone walked up to me and tried to help me find my way like would that ever happen in the united states like, unsolicited yeah exactly unsolicited. you i mean you would be very nervous if that happened unsolicited. Right. you'd be like you would assume you're about me to in be murdered way. yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> tell me about your friendship with um tim ferris you guys will do a random show once in a while and i dm i i texted you both um i try not to blow up tim's text because he is you know he's protective of his mind space i guess is a way to say it That's so i always try because one time on a podcast, he said, you know, there's so many people always trying to get stuff from me. I don't know if it was talking to you or something. And he kind of got, you know, he sometimes he gets honest. And sometimes he's not happy about certain things. And, you know, you tend to, I, I find he's very honest with you. You're so good at getting him to talk about stuff that he doesn't want to talk about. Yeah. That he subsequently has to re-edit the podcast and take oh, stuff out. Oh, for sure. He takes stuff out. Yeah. <laughs> he takes stuff out because you always get it out of him. I know. I love out. it. I need the unedited tapes. I need the basement tapes yeah. of those like original uh, discussions. But he said at some point, like, you know, and then people are just texting me and they want stuff. And, you know, and I just, I texted him at some point. I said, if I, if I've ever done that, I'm sorry. You know, like I only try to introduce you to people or tell you about things. He goes, oh, anytime you text me or email me, it's like great joy for me. You know, our friendship means a lot to me. And that's not you. It's just other people. And he really doesn't like to have I think people constantly asking him for stuff because he likes to think about stuff. But you two just do this great random show randomly. You talk about life and it's just such a great friendship. I just thought, what what's special about Tim Ferriss to you? Oh man, uh, so many things. I think that Tim is just once you once you can get in that like inner circle of Tim, like you can break down that wall and you can get to know him on a on mm. a personal level. He'll be like the best possible friend you could have, like always yep. there for you anytime you you need him. Uh, but he is very guarded, and I think, uh, you know, honestly, I think it's just like I I met him before the four hour work week launched, or just as it was launching, and so he didn't have a lot of fame, and None. we became you know friends just from I just like appreciated his 
curiosity around so many different topics. Like he is just a lifelong learner to his core and is always trying out something new. I remember the first time we went to the movies together and this was like when back in the day, like before this was even a thing, but he had a continuous glucose monitor in his side and it was like, it was like hardcore machinery back then. This is before it was like a, like a thing that even people would, would have. And he had to inject this this, like big needle. Yeah. They're super, (laughs) yeah. They're super simple now, but like back in the day, like it was a hardcore procedure to even get one done. And I remember just being like, this guy is nuts. Like the fact that he does these these self experiments, he was doing some crazy stuff back then. So, you know, I've always been a a kind of someone that likes to to dabble and experiment and try new things and also love learning new things. So we kind of hit it off on on that front. But honestly, I think um, uh, Tim is just, you know, he has been uh, so successful in the last few years with his podcast, just blowing up the way that it has. It's crazy. That everybody wants to get in front of Tim. I can only imagine, you know, I, I, Jason, like you and I, we have like small to medium sized shows and we get yes. enough inbound as it is. Imagine Bonkers. that like yeah. by like 10 X, like everybody wants a line to him. And so I think that he is, his guard has gone up quite a bit around that type of stuff, which, which I can totally understand. Cause who knows yeah. what, what people want and why, you know? Yeah. I, he's just always been searching and I, I got to spend time with him with our mutual friends and we got to go on a vacation or two together like a group trip kind of thing and just really learn to love everything about Tim Ferriss. And then, you know, him, his recently talking about the trauma in his life is so brave and just so inspiring yeah. to see him be vulnerable like that. And I always thought to myself, like, there's something about Tim, you know, like, you know, I wish the best for him, you know, and I could tell he's searching and I would always say to him, like, what is Tim Ferriss searching for? And who is Tim Ferriss? It was like our internal joke. And I was like, who is Tim Ferriss? He's like, that's yeah. what I'm trying to figure out. And he, he's been so brave about sharing, you know, the great things that have happened in his life, but also the challenges he's had and the pain and suffering. And I just, I told him, I was like, I'm so inspired by your braveness, you know, to, yeah. to talk about the things he's talked about. People can go listen to his podcast, but you know, his childhood was not ideal, uh, to say the least. And it's just amazing. I don't. I don't know if you knew that stuff before he talked about it and shared it publicly. Yeah, he had he had mentioned a couple of things to me in the past about some of the abuse stuff. Um, when I was at his house in New York one time, he mentioned something along those lines. But I don't. I think he was still unpacking a bunch of it because it wasn't. Yeah. He didn't discover this stuff until later uh, yeah. in life. You know, when he kind of like had these memories of these events that happened. Um, but yeah, I mean, the thing that. I think is is just so that most people, most guys, especially guys mm. that have testosterone level that Tim does, yes. <laughs> like you yes. don't you don't show your vulnerable side. Like no, you just like hard. that. That is especially around our age. Like I, yeah. I think that you know it, it was it's a he's inspired so many people by doing that by coming out and saying it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to talk about our weaknesses because that's yes. that's how we get over these things. That's how we grow stronger. You know, that's what I, I told him, you know, privately, I just said, listen, I think everything you've done up into your career right now is the is the lead into this moment where you're going to reduce suffering in the world more than, you know, a billion other people have tried just mm-hmm. your work on psychedelics alone. And helping people consider that possibility for their PTSD, for their trauma, which is wildly effective according to all research that we've seen. And for him to take a significant amount of his net worth and, and his, what he's earned and his living and just 
pour it into research on psychedelics yeah. and, and reducing people's suffering through the MAPS program. And then, yeah, I, it's, I, it's, it's the thing inspiring. is with Tim is it's, it's not bullshit either. Like the, the, I, I don't know. I don't know if you'd, you'd get mad that I'd say this, but like, I, so I'm the, I'm the secretary to his, his nonprofit. Oh, cool. <laughs> so, so we don't, I don't know. We haven't talked about that ever before, but, um, I see what he does and yes. he, he contributes massive amounts of money. No, I, I know how much he has. I mean, he basically was like, Hey, do you want to do this? I was like, I'm not quite at that point yet. I got three kids, but <laughs> I might, <laughs> but, but it's a very significant amount of his net worth. It's not like, Oh yes, I have a lot of money and which, which obviously he does, but it's not like, Oh, let me just do 50 K over here or something no, like no, that. No, no, We're no, talking no. millions Magnitude, of dollars, like yeah, yeah, millions the, of dollars to help other people's suffering get reduced. It's amazing. It's real. It's all real. It's he's, all he's really very helping. real. And you know what? I kind of, when I first met him, I goofed on him. I was like, four hour work week. That's ridiculous. You got to work like 80 hours a week if you're going to make it. He's like, I don't think you understand what I wrote in the book. I was like, get the fuck out of here. You know? This <laughs> That's guy. amazing. I, totally I dismissed him. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I read it. I was like, oh, this is, he's talking about being efficient. Right. He's not talking about being a, a lame-o, but I kind of dismissed it out of hand when I yeah. first met him. But shout out. Tim Ferriss, just great human. And uh, yeah, somebody's like, he, uh, when is he going to have you on his show? And I was like, he doesn't need to have me on his show. We're friends. He, he's had 20 investors on the show. Like, I, I'm the, I, he doesn't need to have the 25th investor on the pod. Like, totally unnecessary. Like, Unless never, you have some kind of story you want to come out and tell us that it could be a... Oh, yeah, of course. If I did, yes, I, I just did 5-MEO <laughs> and I've yeah, exactly. touched the void <laughs> and I would like to talk about touching the void. I haven't done 5-MEO, but man, that's uh, becoming a thing in Silicon Valley of the toad venom and just yeah, getting that close to infinity. I, I'm, I'm intrigued. I have ask you ever you done high-dose mushrooms? I haven't done high dose mushrooms, but uh, I'm, I've obviously, uh, yeah, had mushrooms before in my life. It's, but I yeah, haven't done like the mega, what do they call it? Heroic dose? The, yeah. You haven't done the guided tour type stuff. Like the, Not where you yet. sit down with a mask on. Yeah. Yes. So I did that one time. It was a fantastic experience. That's like 2000 milligrams or something. I can't. Uh, it's five grams of mushrooms. So five grams of mushrooms, which I don't know what that is of psilocybin. I don't know what psilocybin it is, but it, it, it's enough to, to send you to La La Land. Lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. You yeah. put a mask on, you yes. sob for about five hours. You, you see like my father had passed away after I did it. Yeah. And I was able to resolve a lot of the unsaid things and emotions that I had wrapped up in that. Uh, um, that's great. You know, and it was just, it was fantastic. Cathartic, it was right? like, Oh cathartic. my God, it was so many years of therapy packed into that, that, you know, six, seven hour session. It's fantastic. Highly, highly recommend it. Yeah, the I passed on investing in that company that was doing the synthetic psilocybin with an IV drip that Peter Thiel invested in. Because, you know, it's like five years ago or something that I met them. And I was like, I don't know if I can publicly endorse this kind of stuff that's not quite legal yet. And I just don't want to cause any problems for, you know, businesses I'm associated with or whatever. But I, it's nice to see this stigma starting to move from, hey, plant medicine versus, you know, people taking opioids and these crazy pharmaceuticals, like this is a whole different class of, you know, compounds and what they do enlightens people. And what the other thing does is destroy somebody's soul. Right. So we need to kind of classify these differently, right? Like fentanyl and oxycodone or whatever the fuck people are taking Vicodin. I don't know what oxys, I guess, is the one that people were taking a whole bunch of like or heroin itself. Like these are totally different substances. Like, can't put them in the same 
category. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing, I tell you, you, you go through a five hour or six hour journey uh, of high dose mushrooms. Nothing about you wants to do that the next day. <laughs> You're like Sounds emotionally intense. drained, you know, for a while. And, and there's like, you know, you've worked through a lot. So there's a lot of reintegration and processing that you need to do when you do it like that. Cause it is very focused. This is not, let's giggle and watch a movie mushrooms. This is let's do work with a, a psychiatrist or a psychologist or whoever's administering this stuff. And the cool thing is we have that being legal now in Oregon. Um, oh, is so, it legal in Oregon? Okay, so yeah, you can so do it at there. the state That's level. Great. They're they're making it legal, so it's um it's pretty exciting times. I think it's going to help a lot of people. I mean, just PTSD, and I had PTSD after nine eleven because I was in New York when it happened, and I didn't realize I had untreated PTSD. But I just kept having what would I realized in hindsight were panic attacks when I would hear an ambulance or I would or somebody would bring up nine eleven my entire body f- would physiologically change. Wow. You know, like I, if I would hear an ambulance and I would think about 9-11 and start crying. And I didn't know I was crying. Jay would say like, are you crying? And I'm like, oh God, I'm crying. And I was just overwhelmed by any image of 9-11. And I w- actually went to therapy doing something called EMDR. I don't know if you've heard of that, but you I hold these paddles and you put goggles on and it puts you like in a theta wave kind of situation and you just talk about the entire I've never talked about this but since we're we're going there I did like five sessions of this where I just talked about my experience on 9-11 over and over again and the anxiety went from you know if we had 100 units of anxiety every time I talked about it each time it went down 20% to at which point I could say you know I saw 9-11 I saw people die I saw the buildings come down and I, I don't physiologically I feel sad but I don't physiologically feel like I'm in that moment anymore. Yeah. Let alone if you're in a Humvee that gets blown up and you watch one of your brothers in arms get, yeah. you know, murdered or, or get cut in half. I mean, it, or you have to take other people's lives, you know, like oh, what a horrible thing. Can you imagine you know? having to reconcile that? I mean, this is why soldiers are jumping off bridges. I mean, it, this, I is, this is somewhere where when you think about the impact that you can have later in life when you get into that third act and you deploy whatever capital you made in the first two acts. I'm just so inspired by watching what, you know, Bezos and Mackenzie Bezos have done. Have you tracked that? Like, no, I haven't. He gave $10 billion to climate change. She gave billions of dollars. I mean, they are giving away so much money. It is bonkers. Like, a level of philanthropy that has just, ne- I mean, we, we have in one case, a level of wealth accumulation that's never existed because of a global market and products really because, I mean, if it wasn't for billions of iPhones, you, you couldn't have hundreds of billions of dollars in market cap, I don't think, right? Like, yeah, it required that global audience. But now people can write a $10 billion check for global warming. You know, that that's never existed in the history no. of humanity that a billion dollars or $10 billion could be put towards something. I mean, I think what we saw with the pandemic is really eye opening in terms of solving problems. Do you what do you, what do you think of, you know, sort of post pandemic? And what has pandemic life been with you? And then I'll, I'll wrap this up because I you've been nice enough to give us over an hour. Yeah, no problem. I, well, I would say pandemic life for me has been um, challenging, like it's been for everyone else. I mean, I, I miss a lot of friends. I miss seeing that, uh, yeah. having that real interaction with humans, giving people hugs, like things like that. Like yeah. we all have faced those types of challenges. So what I did uh, early on, like like anybody that 
that tries to like figure out the best optimal way to move forward is I made a list of things that I wanted to try and tried them to see what would improve my mood, what would put me in a better state mm. to get through this thing. So, you know, wow. for me, that was walking outdoors. It was high intensity interval training. It was sauna usage. It was cold plunge. It was meditation. And there was uh, one other thing. I can't remember what it was, but I did a bunch Expensive of these things. Sushi. That's on the yeah, top there you of the go. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> really yeah, fantastic sushi. beer, like really, uh, great craft beers, <laughs> you know. But it was it was like okay, how I can't do all of these every day, but which are the ones that are going to have the biggest impo- impact on my mood and and get mm-hmm. me kind of through this? And and um, there were two that that ended up sticking. Uh, sauna usage is massive. Do you have that like red light sauna thing that people are doing? I I went the traditional sauna route. So, and a lot of the research around um, everything on terms of lowering all cause mortality to improving uh, cardiovascular disease and helping with um, reduce the the, uh, dementia rates. Like it's all at 174 degrees Fahrenheit for about 20 minutes a day. That's where wow. the, the studies are at. So I put mine to 180 and I do 20 minutes, at least probably six days a week is what, and wow. it improves your mood. It makes you feel better. And you know, there's like it. some I'm days I'm, I've got a lot of stuff going on. So it's, I do it in the evening and other days I can break away at around, you know, lunchtime or after lunch and go sit for 20 minutes. You get a shower afterwards, obviously, but yeah. that one has been huge. And then, um, uh, taking meditation seriously is, is a big uh, one. Like really, where are you at with that? What is your practice? If I may ask. Uh, my practice is um, I try to do 55 minutes a day, which is <gasps> wow. broken into two 25-minute sessions uh, with a five-minute walking meditation in between. But I, I'm practicing a very specific non-app meditation. It's it's a, a, a lineage of Zen called Sambo Zen, um, mm. which is um, – so I actually have, have uh, worked with um, – uh, there's a, there's a, a great Zen center in Santa Fe, New Mexico, um, called mountain cloud and S A B I or S A B O S A N B O S A N B O Sandbo. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. So it's a, it's a, it's kind of based on the, the Renzai sect of Zen, which is more on Koan training. Um, which is the, the, you've heard of koans before. Like they're, they're basically these, uh, insolvable puzzles, like, um, the, the sound of, uh, one hand clapping, or, you know, that's probably the most yes. famous one, or, you know, there's a, a bunch of them, but they actually, they actually have real meaning in Zen. They're actually something that, that can be used as, um, checking questions to figure out how deep your practice is. How many companies do you invest in a year? Uh, I'd say probably, at True, we've been doing a ton. Um, so the cryptocurrency stuff has just been insane lately. Uh, you know, we uh, we probably do one a week, I would say, wow. or two a week. It's been all crazy. in crypto, really. Which which crypto company did you last invest in or become inspired by? Can you share one? It's a good question. A lot of these are pre-launch, so I, I wouldn't okay, want I to. Is it well? well what's this? NFT is that like a? Do you believe that's a big I, thing? I've 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 been. Tra- tracking the NFT stuff for a long time. I believe a, there's going to be a lot of garbage in the space. 
when when every artist with Photoshop can become an NFT master, like it's just yes. gonna be a lot of garbage. <laughs> yes. But there's a lot of really credible, like very cool projects and reimagining of rights and distribution and ownership. Like just the idea of tokenized ownership, where uh, a creator of an object can see long-term wealth and hold that object as it gets resold is fascinating. I mean, just the idea that an artist can have rights to the second, third, fourth, fifth sale of something and get a piece of it is, is, is beautiful. And then, yeah, that means just, I could go really deep. Just imagine in music, you know, you have all these stories of artists being taken advantage of in music. But if they said, listen, the cattle, you always are going to own 20% of your catalog come hell or high water. If they screwed you and bought, you know, the, the Beatles catalog, and then Michael Jackson bought it, and Sony bought it, and they flipped it, and they flipped it. Every time they flip it, you get that 20%. It can't change hands without you getting that 20%. And it's built into the smart contract. You know, oh, amazing. Do you, do you, have you seen Euler Beats? Do you know that at all? No. Oh, what so is Euler let me, Beats? So let me, let me tell you, you about this one. So this is a new project that they came out a couple of weeks back. It's Ethereum blockchain-based. It's uh, basically what they did is they said, okay, what if we make a piece of math, an algorithm that will create these little mini songs, okay? So they're going to be dynamically generated miniature songs that are pressed the entire code and how to ge- recreate these songs are pressed into the blockchain and saved as an NFT, okay? So that's one piece. They went and they generated I don't know what it is, 19 or 21 of them, different uh, beats out there. Now, if you buy the very first one, then basically what happens is you get the rights to every other copy that is ever generated. So if someone wants to print another edition of that beat, so let's just say you own uh, a copy number one. If I want to print the next version, I have to pay a price that is higher than the last person paid. It's based on a bonding curve. And then you get paid 8% anytime someone buys or sells, cashes out um, one of the copies. So let's say I buy the 15th copy and it's 20 ETH for one copy. I can then then instantly go and sell it and recoup 90% of what the last price sold was because it's all locked. The value's all locked into the blockchain mm-hmm. and you will get paid 8% as the original rights holder every time. So it's like an MLM, sold. but without you're actually getting some value. Right. Yeah. But I, it's I not that MLM could, in that. It's, it's not MLM. It, yeah. You're not haranguing people to buy soap. But people are people are buying them because they're they're they there's only 121 copies of each one or something like that, and so they they believe that there will be value in the very first. And and, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying this is like the perfect amazing idea, and everyone should go out and buy one. I'm saying that it's an interesting use of blockchain technology. Yes, and it's it's like a better one would be um, Unisox. Have you heard of Unisox at all? No. So this I'm, is I another, haven't gone down the rabbit hole. Okay, yeah, so let me, me give everything. you one more. I think I think you'll like this one. See. So, Unisox is essentially what they said um, is we are going to create a token called Socks. Okay, so you can buy one of these tokens called Socks. Got it. They're going to make only so many of them. So let's just say I don't know the exact number, but let's just say fifty for the the sake of this argument. It's also based on a bonding curve. So the further you get into the maximum number, so the the first pair of socks may cost five dollars. By the time you get to pair number forty five, it's in the hundred thousand dollars for a pair. Right? They're very expensive. Mm-hmm. Like if you went on Unisocks right now, you can tell me what the most recent uh, cost for a pair of Unisocks is. I think there's still a few available here. I'll tell you right now. Um, I see uh, 500 initial socks, 185. Is it unisocks.exchange? 
Uh, yeah, it's unisocks.exchange. Yeah. Yeah. So slash stats has the stats. So what's the current price for a pair of socks there? The current price, it should tell you for one, it's $112,000 for one pair of socks. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Pretty good so, socks. <laughs> so hold on. So if you hold this token, the, the socks token, and you buy one of these right now, Jason, for $112,000, yes. you can burn that token. So you can see in the upper right, it says 185 redeemed. Mm -hmm. If you burn the token, it destroys the socks token, but they ship you a physical pair of socks. And they ship you an NFT showing that you actually owned a pair of these unisocks. Or you can keep and resell the token at any point in time. So you can go in and resell it for right now for $112,000 and you get that money back Got out it. of the smart contract. But now imagine this is silly because it's socks. Who cares? But right. imagine this is applied to the next pair of Yeezys. So you could go on here. The market de can determine what the price of Yeezys is. And so as it goes up, as more people buy them, the price increases. No longer do I have to have a pair of Yeezys shipped to me, stored in a, a, a closet. They can ship stay it out to in someone the original else. location. Exactly. And I can and sell prove the, the Yeezys token. Yes. Yes. I could sell the Yeezys token to the next person. They can choose whether they want to hold it for speculation purposes or they want to Brilliant. just sell it and get and claim their Yeezys right then and there. What I'm interested in is a digital asset that generates some amount of uh, money from existing in the world, i.e. in the music example, if I created or if I bought, see, you're a DJ, you make some song, you have no money. I'm some guy who appreciates your music. I have this like, there's some artist on Spotify, I found Clem Leek, C-L-E-M-L-A-E-K. I have one of these like playlists called Brain Food or something, where it's just all good f music to listen to while you're working. Mm -hmm. So I found this guy, Clem Leek, and it puts my mind in like a great focus. So let's say he was starting his career. I say, I buy that track, I'll buy the track. I want 50% of the residuals from it, and you keep 50%, but I'll sure. give you $1,000 for it even though you took an hour to make it. So you're just made $1,000 an hour and you get half the residuals. So every time it makes money on Spotify, you get half, I get half. This is coming, 100%. That's and, gotta be the big it, unlock. 100%, but imagine it's like this- It's the Medici Jason. family on like some global exponential basis. We could just back any artist yes. and then have participation in it, but not destroy their careers by owning everything and being predatory. But also think about this. Imagine you, there is a platform for this in the future because there will be. You go, you log on, you say, I'm Sprite. I'm a brand manager for Sprite. I want to use this in a commercial. Yes. Click, one click, commercial rights, buy. Now you right. get paid and the artist gets paid instantly via cryptocurrency. And I and that person has the rights to go and use it in that commercial project. It's, it's just going to happen. What if it happened with where is this should, version oh, you of this? Should be, you should build it. This is your next startup. I have no time. I have no time. But if there's somebody, let's whoever wants to do a version of this kevin and i will give you 100 grand right now <laughs> there you prototype go. it <laughs> and let's go <laughs> i mean this eventually is going to be startups right we're going to be selling tokens and all this stuff for our startups like this is going to be the cap table of companies in 10 years jason your idea about the f is a brilliant one should we cut it out of this and just cut it out I of mean, the pod it, it we is. could beep it we could just put beeps in yeah, exactly. And exactly. then I'll make it Mahalo. I still have the domain. We'll, um, we'll make it Mahalo to just be a project Kevin Rose and I do. We just need to get a crypto developer. Are there crypto developers out there? They're expensive as hell, man. They're in high demand. Wow. You just have to hire Solidity. a bunch of developers Solidity and say, devs. I'll give you six months to figure out crypto. Go. <laughs> I mean, talent is the limited thing, not ideas. 
yeah. all right. This has been a great uh, hour and a half with Kevin Rose. Uh, just one of the great human beings in our industry. Great human being to know. Can't wait to see you, brother. I got a yeah. great. Are you into the ramen? Are you I into do the ramen? love ramen. Really? Okay. There's a place called Taishoken in Japan. T-A-I-S-H-O-K-E-N. And they do that Sukiman ramen, mm-hmm. which is the the buckwheat noodles that you dip in the really thick sauce. Yes, yes. And they opened the first US version in San, San Mateo on the peninsula. So when you're up here, I'll take you. It is transcendent. They boil oh, the uh, broth for like two days. And the, the guy who runs it, Yoshihiro, um, just happened to read my book. And I, I met him and he, he knew who I was. And now we're friends. And he took me in the back. They make the noodles there. And then they boil like for two days this broth and they reduce it down like 80%. It's un and I never was a ramen guy, I was a sushi guy and a tempura guy. Oh. I mean, no, you I see talk. why you fast. Now I see why you, you do. You got to fast. Gotta you can have that ramen. Fasting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that thick sauce and those carbs, but it is damn good. All right, man. Uh, continued success. Good to know your brother. And uh, we'll see you all next time in this week's service. Bye bye.